Welcome to the Root and Remedy podcast, where we discuss all things women's health, hormones, fertility, and body confidence. I'm your host, Vanessa, a woman's health and fertility nutritionist and the co-founder of Root and Remedy Wellness. You can find our courses, free community group, and all other resources at rootandremedywellness.com. So we're talking about abortion today. Can you tell me why we're covering this topic in such detail? Yeah, definitely. So abortion has been all over the news in the past year. You and I have talked a ton about it over the course of 2022, 2023. And one thing that we always talk about is the fact that so many people know that there are abortion debates and that there are political discussions about abortion, but might not really know what's actually happening. And we hear all of these terms all the time, like Roe v. Wade and overturning Roe v. Wade and pro-choice and pro-life, but we don't always know what those mean. And so I really wanted to talk to you about it because I know that it's interesting to you. Um, And this is something that I've studied over the course of my PhD. And so we thought, what a great opportunity to dive into this topic in a little bit more detail and really flesh out these terms that we hear all the time, but that we might not fully know or fully understand. And you and I have even had conversations, I remember, right when Roe v. Wade was overturned in June 2022, we sat down and I remember you saying to me, like, what actually is Roe v. Wade? Like, I hear it all the time. I think I kind of know. But like, often when we're using these legal terms, if you don't have a law degree or you don't understand U.S. constitutional law, it gets really murky and very complicated. So today what we're going to try and do is break down some of these terms and, and really talk about what's happening. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> excited, scared. A little nervous. Upset. Already feeling a bit emotional. Yeah. But I know it's so important and I love that you are going to explain it in simple terms because a lot of us feel stupid mm-hmm. when we don't know what's going on. And personally, I felt like I should know what's going on, but I didn't even know who to ask because everyone has varying opinions. So yeah. I'm just really excited to hear you dispel it out so we can walk away from this being like, okay, I feel like I have a better sense of what's going on in the world. Definitely. And I think one thing that we touched on on our episode about the pill was just that when you're learning your information, mostly through social media too, you're going to hear so many different takes and sometimes some will be compelling. And then you're kind of like, oh, maybe it's not such a bad thing that it was overturned or, oh my gosh, maybe I should be really angry about this. And you kind of don't know what information to trust. So I'm excited to dive into this a little bit deeper. Of course, it's not like the happiest of topics, but it is really important to know. And so I want to kind of give a general trigger warning to this episode. Just because we're going to be talking about some really sensitive things. We're talking about abortion, obviously. We're talking about miscarriage and pregnancy loss. Uh, There will be mention of suicide and sexual assault. I'll give specific trigger warnings when those moments come up, but I just wanted to kind of give a blanket uh, warning for this episode just because they're important things to understand and to, to know, but Um, but they can be quite sensitive for people. So I just wanted to kind of start there. And so when I was brushing up on my research for this episode, I came across this one CNN article, and it was about this one woman named Marlena Stell. And so during the pandemic, she got pregnant. They were very excited to welcome a new baby into their family. They already had a child. And so she was living in Texas, and in late 2020, at nine and a half weeks pregnant, she found out that she had miscarried. She'd experienced 
a miscarriage before. And so she knew that the typical process is to have um, a procedure called DNC, dilation and curatage, which is a type of abortion procedure. The idea basically is that once you miscarry, they have to remove the pregnancy tissue from the womb. Otherwise, it can be quite dangerous. Right. And so she asked her doctor, you know, of course, she was very upset, but she asked, when am I going to have this procedure? I just kind of want to map out how things are going to go moving forward. But her doctor said, no, we can't do this procedure. And so she was really confused. What do you mean? This is like, this is what happens after you've had a miscarriage. And full miscarriage. Like there's not even a question of survival in this case. No, the fetus had had died. There was no heartbeat. It was not, not only was it not viable, but it wasn't growing anymore. It had passed away. Right. And so the doctor told her due to a recent abortion ban in Texas, they're not able to perform this procedure even though there's no heartbeat and the baby is not, the fetus is not developing. And so she said, okay, well, what are my options here? What is my recourse? And they said, well, if we were to perform this procedure, you would need another ultrasound to confirm the results. And so she said, okay, she found another clinic. She had a second ultrasound. She had to undergo the trauma of being told by yet another technician that she had miscarried. And at this point, she was in a lot of pain. She describes it as so much pain, it was hard to walk. And this is really important to notice or to, to take note of that it's hard for the body to naturally expel the pregnancy tissue and it can be really dangerous. So she delivered these results to her doctor. Her doctor said, you know what, we still can't do this. Our hands are tied legally. And so finally she found an abortion clinic. She went to this third clinic. She ended up needing a safety escort to walk through a line of protesters and She is quoted in this article as saying, I was walking into the clinic. There were people with signs yelling at me that I was a baby killer. Seeing that was just another emotional blow because I wanted this baby. And to be told that I'm a baby killer when it's something that was out of my control was humiliating and made me angry. And she continues on to say, I get so angry that I was treated this way because of laws that were passed by men who have never been pregnant and never will be. And so today what I really want to talk about is how did we get here? How are we at a place where even when a woman has miscarried, she can't seek the appropriate reproductive health care? And so we're going to be talking a lot about the current abortion landscape, what's happening today in the U.S. in 2023. But we're also going to be talking about some really important moments throughout history that led to now. So we can kind of see how, how did this even happen? Why are we here today? And so I just kind of wanted to start with the basics. So one thing we were talking about the other night is like, what even is an abortion? So there are different kinds. Basically, today we understand abortion as the intentional termination of a pregnancy. And I qualify this by saying today because what we'll soon talk about is in the past, there was a very different understanding of what an abortion was. But today we think about it as intentionally terminating a pregnancy. Usually an unwanted pregnancy. That's kind of how we think, That's how we about, think it. about it. That's, That's how we think, we think about it. We think it's like, when you think of abortion, you think unprotected sex or birth control gone wrong. Mm-hmm. This person doesn't want to, isn't ready, or isn't in a relationship where they want to bring a baby into the world. That's really all we see it as. But obviously, it gets much more deep and nuanced than that. Definitely. Much more complicated. But we do see it very much as a choice. It's something that we intend to do 
it's not something that happens naturally. It's like we get pregnant, we decide we don't want to get pregnant, and then we terminate the pregnancy. That's kind of how we think about abortion today. Of course, as you just mentioned, it's a lot more complicated than that, but that's kind of like the dominant narrative. And so there are different kinds of abortion, and I just at the outset want to establish some facts. One kind is called medication abortion or the abortion pill. And so this can be taken up until about 10 to 12 weeks, depending on the jurisdiction where you live. But it's safe about up until about 12 weeks gestation. So you take the pill, it causes cramping and bleeding and the body to expel pregnancy tissue. It comes out of the uterus through the vagina, very similar to an early miscarriage. Then there are surgical abortions. These are done, but they're less common. There are sort of like a few different procedures that you can uh, that you can have if need be. One is called vacuum aspiration or suction abortion. Um, this is done still early on in gestation, basically in the first trimester. There's no dilation required. So basically the um, clinician will insert an instrument. They basically suction out the fetal tissue, the pregnancy tissue, and the cells are really vacuumed from the uterus. This only takes about five to 10 minutes. It's quite quick. And it might require some anesthetic, but it's a relatively easy, easy procedure. Then there are dilation and evacuations and dilation and extractions. These are typically done a little bit later on in gestation. The cervix is dilated, so widened, and then an instrument scrapes the fetal tissue out of the uterus. In a dilation and extraction, the fetal tissue is removed intact as opposed to breaking up the fetal tissue within the womb. Now, some interesting statistics according to the CDC. 93.1% of abortions are performed in the first trimester. So the vast majority, almost all, are Whoa, done very, really very early on. Well, interesting that you say so because... One thing I want us to pay attention to throughout the course of this episode or series of episodes is the way language is used to paint a picture of what abortion is and what's happening in abortion today. And so, quote-unquote, pro-life advocates will often try to create this imagery of like a full-term fetus, basically a, a they want you to imagine an infant, right? Right, and then terminating the life of the infant. Very different to what's actually happening. Usually, it's still kind of a, a cluster of cells. It's so early on; it's not viable at this point. Viability is roughly around 22 on the early side, 24 weeks. Still, uh, a ton of intervention at this point is required. It's not like they can take a 22 weeker and just kind of like, you know. Poof. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just have it walk away and be totally fine. It requires a lot of intervention. Often the outcomes are not great. But most abortions are done very early on. Right. Only about 5.8% are performed between 14 and 20 weeks. And then 0.9%, so less than a percent, are performed after 21 weeks. Would this count as... So we very tragically, have a family friend who had a miscarriage, I think at 36 or 37 weeks, it was like horrible, very late in the pregnancy. Mm. Would that count then technically as like an abortion? Cause they're, or no, because she had to just deliver. It was like a stillbirth almost. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to understand how they're characterizing these statistics. Yeah. It's a really good question. I mean, what's tough is that 
the legislation, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, is very vague and quite ambiguous. As we saw in the case of Marlene Estelle, the doctors didn't really even know what they could legally do. Right. And so we might be able to think about it as if a woman has to labor and has to deliver a stillborn, maybe then it's not considered an abortion, but depending on the level of intervention required by the doctor to actually expel the fetus out of the body, it might be. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't really know. And that's very, very problematic. And that's one of the reasons, again, like we're going to talk about later, why there's so much confusion today of what doctors can actually do. And that's a problem because if our doctors don't know what type of care they're legally allowed to give us, then of course, women and menstruators and people that become pregnant are really going to suffer. Yeah. We're turning to them being like, tell me what to do. Exactly. I don't know what's happening And right they're now. saying, I don't really know. Right. In different jurisdictions. So it depends. And again, we're talking about the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. We can do another episode on Canada because sure. it's a little bit of a different, <laughs> a little bit of a different story. But yeah, it's a really good question. And the answer is it's muddy okay. and it's, it's complicated. But still, teeny, teeny, tiny percentage happening in that final stage. Exactly. Typically, when we think about late-term abortions, we're thinking about instances where the mother is at severe risk. She's having some type of medical emergency and medical crisis, or the fetus is in uh, extreme distress or has developed in such a way that they will not be able to live outside of the womb. So these are really extreme circumstances. And again, I just kind of want to reinforce this idea that it's not that the majority of women are waiting until they're in the third trimester and then saying to themselves, you know what, actually, I don't want to have this pregnancy. That's really not the case. Typically, if there is an element of choice, it's going to be earlier on. Right. So what's interesting, too, is that over half of the abortions in the U.S. right now are medication abortions. So again, we think often about someone having to go into a doctor's office, having this abortion procedure, and that does happen, but over 50% are through medication. So I just want to kind of contextualize, like, what even is abortion? What's happening? uh, and, And what does that look like today? Abortions are also extremely safe. There are lower complication rates than with other very common procedures, like getting your wisdom teeth removed. So it's safer to get an abortion than to get your wisdom teeth removed. It's also medication abortion is safer than other medicines like penicillin, Tylenol, and Viagra. So they're very safe. Whoa. I think I saw a statistic as well. It's something like 14 times safer to have an abortion than to carry a pregnancy to term and to deliver. So when we think about it in the context of other procedures and, and even the risk that is inherent in carrying a pregnancy to term. It's relatively safe. You know what that makes me think of? Why? That makes me think of the fact that vending machines kill more people per year than sharks. Oh my God. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you think about something and it's not like even me, we're Im- immersed in this world. So many of my clients, unfortunately, have had an abortion mm-hmm. and often that's why they're coming into my life or they yeah. need help or whatever, or they've had one previously. And then, you know, we're talking about it just cause it's a safe space. Mm-hmm. And we think about it as this dangerous, scary, very shameful thing, which I'm sure you're going to get into. Mm-hmm. But yet you think about it as, oh my God, huge risk. You could like, your uterus could fall out and like, you're never going to be able to have kids again. So the fact that you're even comparing it to something like Tylenol, I'm like, 
what? So that, that puts things into perspective for sure. Absolutely. And that's really my hope here is to contextualize it a little bit and to dispel some of those myths because we are fed so many narratives. And when we don't have the information to combat them, we think, oh, okay, yeah, it must be dangerous and scary and horrible. And maybe we should question why this medication is so widely available. But when you hear the statistics, it's very safe. And that's something that we just right from the jump, I want us to all be on the same page about. There are also some different terms I'm going to be using. So I just wanted to have a quick note about language. I like the term pro-choice and anti-abortion. Sometimes I say anti-choice. I don't love the term pro-life. I don't think it's an accurate representation of that stance. Because I think if people who are against abortions really cared about life, I think they would care about things like universal health care or creating a universal basic income or climate change, or you know, the thousands and thousands of kids that are already in state care. I think there are so many other elements to caring about life. And so we hear these terms often pro-choice, pro-life, and that paints the discussion in a very particular light because it's hard to, it's hard to combat the idea of pro-life. I mean, we're all pro being alive. <laughs> yeah. We all want what's best for society and, and humanity at large. Of like I course. don't think people are going to be saying no to that. Definitely. We all want the protection of vulnerable groups. And there are all of these narratives about babies and that type of thing. So I am a little bit more clinical in the words that I use. You'll hear me talking a lot about the fetus as opposed to a baby. That's sort of my personal view. Mm-hmm. And people can uh, contest me on that, but you know, you and I are talking today. So yeah. these are the terms that no, I'm going to use. Up, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's also, we even talk about even the life of the mother too, the, mm-hmm. the quality of life of the child. It's just, it, it's that concept that the frame can often matter more than the picture and you're making it sound very, very palatable already. Like you're one upping when you're pro-life, like, Ooh, that sounds so good. How could anybody argue that? And then pro-choice, oh yeah, you're for killing and you're, you're for abortion. And it's just, right. it's not that simple as we've talked about a, a zillion times. So I like that you're making that distinction, especially in this context. Like we're not even going to touch the outside. So we're really only talking about abortion in this conversation mm-hmm. primarily. Exactly. A hundred percent. And it's hard. I think there are often questions about whether or not your personal politics could, should come into play with conversations like this. I don't know how it can't. We are people, we see and understand the world through the lens of our experience. And so this is how I see the world. And I'm reporting on the facts, um, but I do wanna just lay things bare right at the beginning of this conversation and talk about how we're gonna even be speaking about this, Mm -hmm. right? So earlier on, I mentioned how today abortion is thought of as the intentional termination of a pregnancy. So what if I told you that a little while ago, as short as, you know, 150-ish years, abortion was a very common part of life. It was a very regular practice. It wasn't seen as political or nefarious in the way that we understand it today. It wasn't really a political issue. It was just part of a woman's fertility journey. I feel like, first of all, I don't know if I believe you in the (laughs) sense that to me, because it's so the first thing I think of is that abortion is very new, that there's no way we would have had the technology to do it before. Mm -hmm. And like, thank God for a modern medicine, like 
that's when it came to be when, when we figured out the pill, when we figured out the, the surgical um, abortion and those processes, mm-hmm. I wouldn't think that it would even be possible before that kind of technology. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, it would have been gruesome and excruciating and probably very, very, or have high complications. Definitely. And you're right about that, certainly. Technological advancement is a big part of the story. But What's so interesting is up until about the 1850s, 1860s, there wasn't this sharp moral distinction between miscarriage and abortion in the way that we have today. Whereas today we understand miscarriage as something that is seen as very sad. There's a lot of grief associated. It's typically a wanted pregnancy that through unintended consequences, the pregnancy is lost. Whereas abortion we think of as an intended consequence of a certain procedure or taking a certain set of drugs. But up until the mid-18th century, abortion was the medical term for any type of early pregnancy loss. It was all kind of one thing. People would talk about abortions all the time. It just meant that the pregnancy didn't come to term. So they didn't even use the term miscarriage? Or not really? Not really. They were interchangeable. It was the same thing. Interesting. Yeah. And so... To give a little bit of context, at the time, pregnancy was often disastrous. It was something that brought a lot of anxiety and a lot of dread. Of course, they didn't have the technologies that we have today. Infants and young children often died as a result of infectious disease, and so early pregnancy loss received little attention. It just wasn't seen as that big of a loss in the way that it is today. Also, keep in mind that Now we have at-home pregnancy tests. You can find out very quickly whether or not you're pregnant. Then the idea was that a pregnancy didn't really start until about quickening. So this was a not necessarily a medical term, but just a popular term at the time that referred to when the baby would kick or when the fetus would kick. That's so far along. So that's like somewhere in the fourth month. But it's because they didn't necessarily, you wouldn't always know. You wouldn't always know, yeah. You might, if you'd had children previously, you might think, okay, I kind of feel similarly. But often they just thought maybe I'm sick or I'm unwell. There's some other circumstance which is leading me not to have my period. As you know, many women still bleed sometimes. Mm -hmm. So they just, they didn't have the concrete knowledge that I am pregnant, this is what was happening. So often they didn't think about pregnancy really until starting until about the fourth month, but also they didn't really think about life until the fourth month. So anything before that was very ambiguous. We didn't really know what was going on and not that we didn't care, but it just wasn't something that was devoted a lot of attention to. Mm And so, interestingly, it was a very common practice to, quote, bring down the menses. This was often done through herbal remedies or other types of tinctures, things of that nature. Of course, the technology was not nearly as specific as we have today. But what's so fascinating is that the focus wasn't on terminating a pregnancy, but rather on restoring a period. And so it was seen very much as an integral way of spacing out births. So pregnancy could be very dangerous. Often women would have several, several pregnancies. Basically all of their fertile years would often be pregnant or they would have at least upwards of sort of like four, five, six, seven children. And so often it was really important for them to think about how they could best space apart these births. One way that they might do this was while they were breastfeeding, it might be harder for them to get pregnant. 
Withdrawal was also another popular technique. And another one was to bring down the menses. What today we would think of as abortion. That's a very specific and intentional desire to terminate the pregnancy. But it just wasn't thought of in those terms. And so also just to develop this context a little bit more, at the time, pregnancy and birth was very much considered women's work. The medical system that we have today was very different. We didn't have gynecology as a subfield. And so medical doctors, who were mostly men, predominantly men, wouldn't have been involved in pregnancy or birth. Typically, prior to the Civil War, so prior to the 1860s, white men were rarely included in gynecological or obstetric practices. And instead, they were attended to by skilled midwives, nurses, or other unlicensed women. And what's interesting is that half of the women who provided reproductive care were black women, many of whom were enslaved at the time. Otherwise, it was indigenous women and white women, but very rarely male doctors. And so we can think about abortion at the time as very much a tolerated practice. And I just want us to kind of shift our thinking a little bit in terms of what abortion is today versus what it was historically. So, like I mentioned, women would often use herbal remedies or different drugs to bring on the menses. These were commercialized at a certain point, and they became very profitable for herbalists and healers. And they were even widely advertised in newspapers. So it was just something that was talked about very much. Because childbearing and rearing children was very much women's work, spacing out the pregnancies, abortion, thinking about our reproductive health to the limited degree that they could was also under women's domain. Right. The sort of implication here is that women had the right to choose what they were going to do for their family. As we should. (laughs) Exactly. But it's even so interesting. As you're saying that, I'm like, the frame. They're literally the same thing, but we're not saying, I'm going to murder this potential baby. Right. Like, the way we think about it or some people will have you think about it now, it's like, I'm just going to try to keep my period regular because I'm not ready to get pregnant. But it's just interesting you saying it that way. It already just sounds so much gentler, you know? Definitely. And what's interesting too is that pregnancy hasn't changed. The way we think about pregnancy has changed. The way we think about life and, you know, babies, fetuses, all of these different terms, that has very much changed. The way we think about fetal personhood has changed and evolved. But part of that, often people will will say this is because of technology. We have technological advances. We just know more now. So we can have a clear understanding. That's not necessarily, I mean, it's true that we have technology, but it doesn't necessarily mean that medicine and technology always brings us closer to the truth, the unvarnished truth. It is our truth. It's how we choose to understand the world. But there are other communities, even today, that don't see pe- personhood as starting with the fetus in pregnancy. They see it as starting after birth, and sometimes not even until the baby is baptized. So there are different cultural understandings of personhood and of life. And so what was going on in pregnancy wasn't changing, but the way we were talking about it and the way we understood it was different. And it's because we did have different frames that we were using. And so up until this point, before quickening, abortion was legal. There were no regulations across the U.S. And it wasn't really until the mid-18th century that there started to be some type of regulation. 
And what's interesting is that the first statutes governing abortion in the US were actually poison control measures. And they were designed to protect women by controlling the sale of abortifacients. So these weren't laws that criminalized abortion per se, but it was, it was a poison control measure. It was also economic. It was thinking about regulating the sale and who was profiting from abortion medication. It didn't regulate growing herbs at home. It didn't punish the women for undergoing this procedure. The issue wasn't really abortions. The issue was how they were getting the drugs. Yeah. Who's making the money? Yeah. Who's making the money? And so this started really a wave of new legislation. Efforts to criminalize abortion were motivated by two things, white supremacy and misogyny. And I'm going to dive into that. Buckle up, folks. <laughs> I just want to say it in unobscure no, you've got terms. Blunt, yo. Mm -hmm. Medical men were creating the subfield of gynecology, but to do so, they had to establish themselves as experts. In the wake of slavery's ends in the mid 19 or 1860s, rather, skilled black midwives represented real competition for the white men who sought to enter the practice of child delivery. Male gynecologists launched racist smear campaigns and claimed that black midwives were unsanitary, non-scientific, and barbaric. They really constructed this moral panic about abortion because it was an issue that they could take a stance on and be the authority of and really cement their expertise. So what's interesting is that today, the landscape of the abortion debate is often framed in terms of pro-choice, pro-life. But what we see is that when abortion was originally criminalized, it wasn't about fetal personhood. It wasn't about pro-life or the sanctity of life. Legislation was passed not as a response to public outrage about the immorality of abortion, but as a result of a determined group of male physicians who were trying to take control over a highly profitable business of childbirth from midwives who they condemned for performing abortions. It was also about putting women in their place and reaffirming those gender norms and the idea that women are mothers. That is their role. I hate, <laughs> I hate that. Putting women in their place. If, if you want to make me mad, you'll say that. But it's like, it's just, how did we go from that to then making it about the life and the viability and the, you're like, ooh, so glad you asked. Well, it just, first of all, that makes me like sick to my stomach to know, of course, they, they have no ground to stand on. So they're like, let's just rip them down. And it, we're going to hit below the belt. We're going to freak people out. Yeah, unsanitary as if you, you wouldn't want to go over there. Go with me. Go with me. I'm the safe option, right? I know what I'm doing. No, you don't. You don't know anything. Are you kidding me? You have no wisdom. You've got no experience. Mm -hmm. So that to me is already... I'm like, I could feel myself getting like hot when you were talking. I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that makes me so angry. Mm -hmm. But then even just how it started there and it has morphed over time into something completely different is so angering and frustrating. So I'm going to let you continue. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say, I'm, I'm sure other people are thinking that too, mm -hmm. that it's, it is appalling how it started, but also then what it's grown into when they weren't even connected. Yeah, I mean, such an excellent point, and we're gonna talk about this more, but one thing, I, wanna, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as I continue on with this story, because later on I want us to talk about, are the motivations really different? 
I'm just going to let that question kind of sit. I'm just going to let that marinate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to let it sit there. Now, going back to the mid-1800s for a minute, we're talking about the effort to criminalize abortion through banning midwifery, taking away usurping control from mostly women of color who were the experts in this field. They had generations of wisdom and knowledge that all of a sudden, like you just mentioned, they were being told they were unsanitary. There was really this uh, fear that was created and cultivated in society. Now, this was propelled forward by race and class anxieties because at the time, it was mostly white, native-born, middle and upper-class Protestant women who were seeking abortions. And so over the course of these campaigns put on mostly by male doctors, the public became more aware of the rates of abortions. And so public fears grew about the potential of a, quote, race suicide and the future of the country. So doctors were saying, you know, abortions are terrible. We should care about it, specifically because it's this group of people that are getting the most abortions. And these are the groups of people that we want in our society. We want our country to be wealthy and white and Protestant and all of these things. This takes us back to the pill episode when we think about eugenics, Improving the population. Exactly. Yeah. So it was very much motivated, motivated by those same ideas. And so they really took hold of those existing fears and just blew them up. And so that's how abortion gets criminalized in the first place. So were they saying these group, this group of people, mm-hmm. mostly women of color, can't do it, but come to us, we'll do it for you? Or no? Were they just saying so it shouldn't happen at all? They were basically saying midwives and homeopaths and lay women that are attending births and dealing with pregnancies, they're not the expert. And you know why they're not the expert? Because they're performing this heinous procedure called an abortion. So it was really just, it was almost a Trojan horse. It was a way for them to come in and cement their authority because they're saying, look at what these people are doing. So it was both. Right. Which is wild Mm -hmm. to think about. And so I really, through the course of this conversation, want to disrupt this idea that abortion has always been seen as morally wrong. And when we talk about the abortion context today, there are narratives even discussed by the Supreme Court in 2022 that Roe v. Wade, we're going to talk about what that is and when and what happened, but Roe v. Wade from the 1970s to 2022 was just a blip. The legality of abortion, the idea that you should be able to access safe legal abortions is just uh, an aberration in our historical timeline. That in fact, abortions have always been wrong, they've always been criminalized, and that's why we should reverse Roe, that's why we should make it criminal again, because that's the way things have always been. When in fact, that's just categorically false. It's not true. From early colonial America until about the Civil War, it was very much a regular part of life. And even before that, we can talk about you know indigenous communities another time, but women have always been seeking to control their fertility. That's just the normal course of life. And so in fact, what I argue is that the criminalization of abortion is the blip. Right. But that's not really the narrative that gets spun today. So the story of abortion in North America, and now I'm generalizing to Canada because it's similar, of course we're talking about the US here, but this has always been about women trying to control their bodies and men and male-dominated fields usurping that control in an effort to solidify their own authority. 
the criminalization of abortion is at its root anti-feminist and it's about controlling women's bodies and their place in society and limiting their power. Mm-hmm. Now, over the next hundred years or so, what was once an open practice, not that it was without its own difficulties, but it was at least done in a more open way, then became difficult to obtain, expensive and dangerous. I read a number of stories where women were blindfolded and taken to unknown places by themselves. The idea being that the people performing abortions could be liable, and so they didn't want them, they didn't want women to even know where they were going. So there are all of these like wild stories. That all, it sounds like a dystopian yeah. fiction. It doesn't sound real, but this was this was the 1900s. This sort of like 1900 to 1950s. So was it like a black market? Yes. Kind of thing because it was like you can't get it above ground. So exactly. It's very black. And then people are like, I don't want you to know who I am just in case you tell. Exactly. As if getting an abortion isn't already traumatizing and like fucked up enough for the person. It's 100%. like, yeah, let's blindfold you, spin you around a few times and like make sure you're, you have no idea what's going on. Literally women would be picked up from a corner. They'd be told, okay, meet me at the so-and-so corner. We're going to blindfold you, put you into a van, take you to the abortion clinic. How is perform this the better? procedure. Well, that's the thing. And this is sort of like criminology 101. If you criminalize something, it doesn't mean you're going to stop that thing from happening. It just pushes it underground. Right. It just makes it illegal. It makes it unsafe. It makes it happen happen in ways that are not regulated. So that's what happened here. Illegal abortions were also sometimes performed by unskilled people. It wasn't doctors. I mean, sometimes it was if they were willing to skirt around the laws. But imagine also you've spent your life's work creating a medical practice. Understandably, some people didn't want to jeopardize that. And so you had unskilled people performing these very delicate procedures. Now, trigger warning here. There were also reports that women would be sexually assaulted. It's so upsetting to think about going and having such a traumatic procedure and then to be violated in that way is atrocious. Mm -hmm. There were also in this time higher rates of suicide. So we see this correlation between criminalizing abortion, increase in suicide, which is of course just something to keep in mind. In most states, therapeutic abortions were still available, but that meant that the life of the woman had to be at risk. In this circumstance, your case had to be approved by an abortion committee, which meant that women would often have to go see multiple physicians, they would have to appeal to a committee of physicians, and sometimes submit to several interviews. So think again about the trauma of this practice. You can't just go and get the procedure that you need. You have to prove. You have to prove. And like make them believe that you're worthy of this termination. Exactly. If a woman could find the right physician who would say the right thing, she might be able to get a a therapeutic abortion. But again, think about the inequality that this creates because it was mostly white married women who had private health care, who could afford private health care, who had that relationship with their doctors, who were then able to have abortions in a hospital because they were able to appeal to those physicians, whereas poor women of color had to resort mostly to illegal options. And so it created this dichotomy, one that still exists today. So... There's so much detail we could get into about all of the years that abortion was criminalized. 
there's this amazing book I recommend everyone reads if they're interested. It's called When Abortion Was a Crime. Really, really interesting. It documents the hundred or so years that it was criminalized. But we're going to fast forward a little bit <laughs> for the sake of time so that we're not here for 18 hours. In the 1800s for 18 hours. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of time <laughs> yeah. spent in the 1800s. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. We're going to fast forward to 1950s, mid-1950s. This was a time where there was something called the thalidomide scandal. Now, this is something that people of our parents' generation would probably be familiar with, definitely our grandparents' generation. It's sort of slid from, it's receded from public view recently. I had never heard of it I've before I started, yeah, my research. Thalidomide was a drug that was used in over-the-counter sleeping pills, mostly in Europe. And it was discovered that if taken early on in pregnancy, if a woman was to take it early on, it caused severe birth defects, including limb malformations, brain, eye, and heart damage. So it was really, really, really detrimental if a woman took it early on in gestation. There were about 10,000 victims, supposedly. People were absolutely rocked that this happened because thalidomide was thought to be very, very safe. They didn't think that they were going to be ingesting something that was risky. It was legal. It was available over the counter. It was just a sleeping pill. Right. Now, luckily, it wasn't approved in the FDA, by the FDA. So in the U.S., it wasn't available. But it was publicized all over the world. And in the 50s, there was one case that really took center stage. A woman by the name of Sherry Finkbein was a happily married mother of four. She was a teacher, and she was the host of a children's television show. Sort of a public figure in her state. She took a sleeping pill that her husband brought home from England when she was pregnant with her fifth child. She realized soon after that it contained thalidomide and sought an abortion. But abortion law at the time prohibited the procedure unless there was a risk to the mother's life. So she wasn't able to get an abortion. Now, she didn't necessarily want to be a crusader of abortion rights, but she decided to go public with this story. She tried to appeal directly to the legislature, and she said that this was a wanted pregnancy, but that she was concerned about the future life of the fetus. She was denied. She wasn't able to get her abortion. But because she was a woman of means, she ended up traveling to Sweden and got her abortion there. So now thoughts started to change a little bit about what abortion is and why someone would get an abortion. And the public in the U.S. sort of started to think, maybe there is a reason, maybe there is a legitimate reason to get an abortion, quote-unquote legitimate. Mm -hmm. This came before the German measles or rubella epidemic in the early 1960s. So we're still vaccinated for rubella. When we get our MMR shot, it's measles, mumps, and rubella today. And so this crisis occurred when images of, quote, thalidomide babies and children who were sick with polio circulated in the media. And what's important to know is that at the time, most children with disabilities were institutionalized, and therefore they were very much kept out of sight. So the day-to-day -day reality of living with a physical or mental disability wasn't well understood. Society wasn't very inclusive. We didn't have open conversations about what it looked like to raise a child with disabilities. And there weren't those resources. But a fear of abnormality and a fear of disability was very much top of mind. And as I mentioned before with the thalidomide scandal, the defects that it caused were very obvious physically. 
babies were being born basically without limbs. So they were just sort of a, a trunk and a head. And so these images really terrified people. There was tremendous cultural fear about difference and about disability. And what's so interesting is that the German measles, or rubella, they're interchangeable terms, was not very serious at all. If a child got it or an adult got it, man or woman, doesn't matter, it caused a small rash. It wouldn't really even result in a fever. It was very, very minor. But it was very dangerous if a woman contracted it early on in her pregnancy. It resulted in the fetus in deafness, blindness, heart, and brain abnormalities. And so this was a virus that impacted everyone at all levels of the US social class. It impacted everyone. It didn't discriminate based on race, so socioeconomic status, where you lived. It was really a threat to all people. And it was seen as impacting the most vulnerable American citizen, the fetus. As a result, mostly white middle class and married women sought abortions and they thought about it not only as a justifiable action, but as a responsible decision, given the potential for fetal disability. Like if they got sick, they'd mm -hmm. be like, okay, I'm not even gonna chance it, I wanna abort. They basically thought, I need an abortion because there may be a circumstance where my fetus is gonna be born with a disability, I wanna be able to control the type of fetus that I bring into the world, and so, all of a sudden you had a different group of people. You had a more privileged group of people saying, this is a procedure that we need. And think about the last hundred or so years had all been back alley abortions. It had been more associated with quote unquote, I mean, huge scare quotes here, like problematic groups, problematic individuals, right? It was seen as something that was unsanitary and shameful and done because someone had made a mistake and you know what I mean like that was kind of the idea whereas now all of a sudden you have married white women that are saying no we need this abortion mm -hmm. and so the public perception of the procedure was starting to change and in this way the German measles epidemic and a fear of disability actually propelled reproductive rights activism now it was the concerned white mother who was changing public perception of abortion from something nefarious, shameful, and criminal to something that was legitimate and actually responsible. And so I'm bringing us back to this sort of dark undercurrent that we talked about in the pill episode, which is the fact that reproductive rights is deeply entwined with the fear and stigmatization of disability. And now I don't necessarily have answers to these questions, but I just sort of want to table them for us and for everyone listening. How would this story be different if our society was more tolerant of disability? What if there were more resources for mothers with disabled children and more education and visibility of disability? What if the rubella epidemic had never hit the US? Would there have been enough public support for subsequent legal challenges like Roe v. Wade? So this is in the mid-60s. Roe v. Wade happens in 1973. So this is really setting the stage. We're changing public opinions, and this is the background for which Roe v. Wade takes place, which we will talk about in the next episode. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Root and Remedy podcast. If you like this episode and you find our information helpful, then it would mean the world to us if you would leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Google, or somewhere else, just click that rating and review button and leave five stars. That allows us to continue to bring you great guests, free information in the women's health field, and get this podcast out to more people who need it. And of course, if you want to explore any of our courses, our one-on-one services, or any other resources we have, you can find everything at rootandremedywellness.com.